Uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. Uh, this is the second week in this sermon series. If you were with us last week or if you tuned in uh, on the live stream, we begin. Uh, Dan, actually, Dan Diffie, started us in Ruth chapter 1. Today we'll look at Ruth chapter 2. Next week, Pastor Brian, our lead pastor, our main teaching pastor, he'll be back in the pulpit preaching Ruth chapter 3. And then on December the 20th, Pastor David, our family pastor, will preach Ruth chapter 4, at least half of it, and getting us to the point where we can conclude it on Christmas Eve, uh, Pastor Brian will preach the second half of Ruth chapter 4. So we want to ask you to uh, begin thinking about Christmas Eve service. We're going to have three of those services this year in this building. You will be able to RSVP for the service that you prefer this week. And so be paying attention to that on our website and the app, and you'll be able to RSVP to join us for Christmas Eve. Before we jump into our text this morning, let me just start out by asking a few questions. Uh, first of all, ha have you ever had someone engage you with some act of love or kindness or grace at just the right moment of time when you were going through a difficult circumstance? Has anyone ever experienced that? Of course we have, and it sort of pr propels us to endure whatever the Lord has for us during that season. What about this? Have you ever had uh, or looked back in, in time and you think to yourself, man, I really wish I had a Christian friend who would have encouraged me in my faith or shown some sort of act of love or kindness or grace to me in that moment of time? Maybe it didn't happen, but you're looking back and you're like, man, I wish that that could have happened for me. Has anyone ever experienced that? I've experienced that. There's, goods and, there's good and bad, right? What about right now? As I'm thinking about us as a church family, is there anyone here this morning who is just in desperate need of someone engaging you with love, grace, and kindness? Because the storm clouds have not only just come into your life and blown away, but they've just set in. And it doesn't seem like there's any silver lining in sight. I know that there are some of us who are experiencing that this morning. So with these questions in mind, let me, let me say what I believe the big idea here is in Ruth chapter 2, scene, or act number 2, and the narrative of Ruth, and then we'll begin to work through the story. The big idea is God's loving kindness is oftentimes providentially granted to us through agents of His grace. Let me say that one more time. God's loving kindness is oftentimes providentially granted to us through agents of His grace. In our passage this morning, we will see how God's loving kindness is providentially granted through a righteous man who generously engages a foreign widow with the loving kindness of the Lord, the God of Israel. Who is this man? What is he like? And how does he demonstrate, how, does he, uh, how is he an agent of God's loving kindness to Ruth, the Moabite woman who we discovered a little bit about starting last week? You will remember, as Dan talked last week in Act 1 or Ruth chapter 1 that, uh, about Ruth, that uh, we read about Naomi or we studied the life of Naomi and a little bit about her, Naomi. If you remember, she left Bethlehem in the occurrence of a famine. Uh, she left, as she puts it, full 
with her husband and their two sons going to the land of Moab, only to return, as she puts it, empty, because her husband and her two sons had deceased in their time there. And she says that I have nothing, I'm empty. And she had forgotten, at least momentarily, about her daughter, daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth had gone back to Bethlehem with Naomi, and they returned not to a land uh, that is now famine, but to a land that is bearing fruit and uh, bringing forth food, and in particular, barley, as we see in chapter 1, the last verse of chapter 1, uh, that, that, that it was the beginning of the barley harvest when they returned. And this gives us a hint that there's a, a little glimmer of hope on the horizon of Naomi's bitter return to Bethlehem. And as we enter into act number two, chapter number two, the plot, as they say, it thickens in this grand story. So Ruth, we see, we'll see that Ruth, a resourceful widow, providentially enters a righteous man's field. And we find out who this man is and just a bit about him right at the outset of scene number one in act two. So if you look at chapter number two, uh, verse one, we see who this man is. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is a worthy man, someone who is distinguished and respected in the community. He is of the clan of Elimelech. That's also an important piece of information. Remember, Elimelech is Naomi's deceased husband, and this man, his name is Boaz, is a relative of Elimelech's. He's of the same clan. And immediately after introducing us to Boaz, the author of Ruth turns his attention to a conversation between uh, Naomi and Ruth. In verse 2, we see it. Ruth, the Noahite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Notice that the author draws our attention again to the fact that Ruth is a Moabite. This is important. She's not part of the people of God. She's not part of the people of Israel. She is a foreigner in the, from the land of Moab. Notice also, Ruth's request is to glean among the ears of grain. Now, as, I, as I'm scanning the room, I think that it's safe to say that most of us are not farmers and are not really familiar with the, the farmer farming process, the harvesting process. And so perhaps it might be helpful if I just talk a little bit about that. Not that I have any experience of my own, but uh, you'll be encouraged. I have read this week and uh, I have learned something about the farming, at least in that time. So what would happen first is that the workers uh, would cut the grain stalks with their sickles and they would pile these grain stalks on the edge of the field. And then the workers would come along later and they would tie these grain stalks up into bundles and get them ready for transport, perhaps by a donkey or something of that sort. And then third, there was the gleaning process. Gleaning just means to, to gather. Uh, it means to gather up all the grain stalks that had been left behind during the harvesting process, those that were accidentally dropped or had fallen by the way. It was the gleaning process, and that's what we see Ruth uh, asking to do if she can go and glean in the field. Now, the Mosaic law made room for the poor, that is the sojourner or the widow or the orphans, 
to gather food for themselves through working, gleaning in the fields during the harvest times. So notice here also that Ruth's hope is to find favor, meaning she was hoping to find favor by a man who embodied the spirit of God's law, not just a man who kept the letter of the law. She was hoping to find favor from a man who would engage her in the loving, with the loving kindness of the Lord. And Naomi, of course, what does she do? She affirms Ruth's request saying, go my daughter. And in verse 3, we see that Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Notice Ruth's initiative. Uh, she, 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 she inquired of Naomi to go out and to gather food, uh, meaning that she, she took the initiative. She understood that there was an opportunity to gain some food here and to gather some food for her and her family, and she takes the initiative to do that. She's resourceful, and she's not lazy. She's taking the initiative to go and gather food for her and her mother-in-law. So she set out, she went, and she gleaned in the field, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, our text reads, if you notice, she happened to come, or we might say, as luck would have it, Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. Now, I believe that the author here is being a bit satirical because the entirety of this narrative is showing us that God is providentially working out His sovereign will in everyday circumstances of life. Ruth doesn't just by happenstance end up in Boaz's field. God providentially brings her there on this day for a particular reason. Now, I've used this word providence or providentially, and maybe you've heard that term before, but I think it might just be helpful to define it. The Baptist catechism, and I said that in the first service, and somebody asked me afterward, what is that? And uh, it's a helpful tool, question and answer, to be able to disciple your children or even yourself. I use it for myself uh, in understanding doctrine and theology. So the Baptist catechism states it this way, providence. God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. You might uh, recall Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, uh, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Ruth plans to go to the fields to glean food for her and Naomi to eat, and God providentially brings her feet into the field of Boaz, a righteous man, a worthy man. So thinking about that, thinking about God's providence, it might be good for us just to remember that no matter what circumstances of life that we're going through now, whatever God has us going through right now, whatever the situation might be, God is in control of it. He is purposing all things for His glory and our good. Those who love Him, who are called according to his purpose, they're good. And so we can rest in God's good plan for our life. He is gracious. He is our heavenly Father. So be encouraged about that truth this morning. So in scene one, here we see that God providentially brings this resourceful widow into this righteous man's field, and we will see this, this righteous man is an agent of God's loving kindness to Ruth here we'll see that in the second scene, and then also Naomi 
indirectly in scene number three. So as we're entering into scene two, we are going to note more about this righteous man. Verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So we see that Boaz is from Bethlehem. And the first words that are recorded out of his mouth are, the Lord be with you. Yahweh be with you. He is a God-honoring man. John Piper says that he is a God-saturated man. He is, we shall see, a man who embodies the spirit of God's good law, not just a man who keeps the letter of the law. And that's important. That's what, that, remember, that's what Ruth is hoping to find. And we see uh, this demonstrated in Boaz here as he uh, is in, engaging with his workers, and we're also going to see it in the verses to follow as he engages with Ruth. Verse 5 goes on. Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz is, is realizing that there is someone new in the field, and so he's inquiring about this person, inquiring about this young win, w- woman who is gleaning in his field. And in verse 6, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered Boaz, saying, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, in in these words, we're getting a glimpse of how the field uh, field foreman perceives Ruth. She is a young Moabite woman who is connected to Naomi. And that she's also a humble woman. She's a woman who came to him and asked permission to glean in the field. She didn't necessarily have to do that, but she did. And it shows us something. It shows us her deference. It shows her her humility. She's not a a person. She's not a woman who's just self-entitled. She is a woman who demonstrates humility. And she's a hard worker. She's working diligently to gather grain, working all morning with only a short rest. Now, as we're uh, getting closer to the climax of the scene, we should, uh, if we were to zoom out and think of all that's transpired so far in our story, we would be at the edge of our seats wondering, what is ha- going to happen next? What is going to happen next? Uh, and this year, my family and I have been watching uh, Star Wars. I did not like Star Wars growing up. I thought it was lame. But now, for whatever reason, I think it's awesome uh, because I enjoy watching it with my children and uh, so earlier this year, we were watching, we we're watching it in order, right? I have to watch things in order. It doesn't make sense to me if it's not in order. So we start with episode one, when Anakin is just a young boy. And Anakin, if you remember, uh, in that first episode, uh, he and Padme, who is a queen, I think, uh, maybe a princess, but anyway, she's royalty, and they have this, this friendship, this connection. And at the end of episode one, you could see that there was something going on between Padme and Anakin, not anything weird or anything, but you could tell that the, the, the narrator, the author of Star Wars, wanted you to anticipate more to come in that relationship. And it does, right? If you uh, fast forward to episode two, 10 years later, uh, Anakin is now walking around with Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, his, his Jedi master, and he's walking into the scene where he's going to uh, meet uh, uh, Padme uh, for, after a long stint of time, and he's nervous about it, right? And so the author wants us to get that he's nervous. And then every time through episode two, they're, they're on the same scene, there's this tension. 
And it's building up and building up and building up. And that's what we're to feel as we're reading this story right now. There's this, there's this righteous, worthy woman from the land of Moab who has shown herself to be humble, showing herself to be loving and embracing the God of Israel as she uh, went with Naomi from Moab back to her people to worship her God. And we have this righteous man, a worthy man, Boaz. And they're coming on to the scene here together. And finally, right, Boaz engages Naomi in conversation. Look at verse 8. Boaz says to, or I'm sorry, not Naomi, Ruth. Boaz says to Ruth, the young widow, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We see that Boaz is an agent of God's loving kindness here to Ruth. He provides for her. He's going beyond what the law demands. He didn't just keep the letter of the law. He was a man who embraced the spirit of God's good law. He is an agent of grace. And he is engaging Ruth with the loving kindness of God. We see that he provides for her, a field for her to glean, water for her to drink, protection, women to stick with, and, and saying to the men, keep away from her, right? These, these men are doing what's right in their own eyes, and, and Boaz knows this, and he says, stay away from Ruth. And look at Ruth's response. It's, it's really unsurprising at this point, knowing what we know about her already, that she is humble, and she demonstrates us further in verse 10. She fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth understands her status in the land of Israel, that she is a foreigner. She's not part of God's covenant people, at least at this point. So when Boaz notices her and favors her and goes beyond what is in keeping with the law to show and demonstrate love to her, she falls prostrate onto the ground, asking, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? And Boaz responds to her, we see in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother, mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now, that last line ought to draw our minds to what the author of Hebrews says about the faith of Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, a foreign land. He left country and kinsmen to enter into a covenant relationship with God, a covenant-keeping God. And Ruth follows this pattern. By faith, Ruth leaves her father, leaves her mother, leaves her native land of Moab, saying to Naomi as she clung to her, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth has faith that God will provide for even, uh, God will provide even when things look grim or seem like, man, this is hard. Things are not looking bright. Ruth has faith that God will provide. And as our story begins to peak here at its climax, Ruth is on her knees now. Think about it. Picture the scene. She's on her knees 
before Boaz, and Boaz continues to speak, pronouncing a blessing over her in verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth's faith has led her to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. She's not taking refuge in her own good works. She's not taking refuge in Naomi or her association with Naomi or Naomi's people. That's not where her refuge lies. She is taking refuge in the living God. Now, her faith is uh, observably obvious as it is worked out in the way that she loves others, in particular the way she loves her mother-in-law, in in the way that she demonstrates humility, in the way uh, that she corresponds with others, the men in the field and and Boaz. But this blessing is being pronounced over her because she has come to take refuge under the wings of God. Isn't this the pattern set forth in Scripture and how we are to receive God's loving kindness to us? We don't we don't try to clean ourselves up or make ourselves right and then go to God. No, that's, not, that's, that's the opposite of what uh, Scripture declares, that we are to recognize and confess that we are lost, broken sinners separated from God and that we need desperately to receive His grace. And then we run to Him. We run to Him. We run to the foot of the cross where sins are pardoned and paid for, and righteousness is freely given as God's good gift. We run to Jesus knowing and believing that He is our only refuge. Jesus transitions us or transforms us, rather, from being a foreigner of God's good covenant to being a part of God's good covenant, being part of the family of God. Don't wait. If you're wondering, man, should I follow Jesus? Should I run to the cross? Should I run to God to receive His grace? Don't teeter, don't waver. Run to the cross. I love uh, singing hymns with my family. Uh, We read Scripture, we pray together, we sing hymns. And one of the hymns uh, that we've been singing the last month together is, is titled, Come Ye Sinners, poor and needy. And one of the lines goes like this, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost in ruin by the fall. Isn't that all of us? I think so. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. If you tarry, you will never come at all. This is what the Scripture embraces. And so, Jesus even echoes this warning in Matthew chapter 23, He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, listen to his words here, how often I would have gathered your children together as a mother bird gathers her young under her wings. And you were not willing. You were not willing. Don't be like the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the time of Jesus. No. Arise and go to Jesus, and He will embrace you in His arms. He is our eternal refuge. He is 
where we can find uh, safety and security and provision by His grace. Now, after Boaz pronounces this blessing on Ruth, she responds with in this in verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth restates that she has found favor in the eyes of Boaz, not that she deserves it, right? She realizes this. She says, you have comforted me and you have spoken kindly to me, and I am not even one of your servants. She confesses, I am not deserving of this grace that you are lavishing upon me. And is Boaz finished showing loving kindness to her? No, he's not. He continues to lavish her with grace. In verse 14, we see this. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And does Ruth refuse this constant flow of irresistible grace? Absolutely not. She's compelled to receive it. So we see that she goes and she sits beside the reapers and Boaz passes to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she even had some left over. Boaz has more than enough provision to satisfy this foreign widow. And he lavishes his grace upon her. And she could do nothing but receive it by faith because she realizes that she desperately needs it. She needs to be rescued and provided for. Isn't this all of us? That's all of us. We need to be rescued from our own sin and God's wrath. We need to be provided for. We need to have a constant flow, a constant stream of God's redeeming grace to us. Verse 15, when Ruth rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Again, Boaz is generously engaging Ruth with his loving kindness. He says, not only let her glean the grain that has been accidentally dropped along the way during the harvesting process, also let her glean from what has been intentionally harvested and pull some out and let her have it and let her glean from those piles. This is going beyond, again, like I've said, what the law requires. Boaz is not just a law-keeping man. He is a man of, of grace and loving kindness. And he also says to these men, do not reproach her or rebuke her. So we see a righteous man, the man of Boaz. And as we enter into now scene number three, we're going to see a revived hope, particularly among Naomi and Ruth. Verse 17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epiph of barley. That's enough food. Uh, you're thinking, what, how much is that? <laughs> it's enough food uh, for Ruth and Naomi for at least a couple of weeks. And in verse 18, uh, Ruth took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law, this is Naomi now, saw what she had gleaned. And she also, or she also, that's Ruth now, brought out and gave Naomi what food she had left over after being satisfied from mealtime. Now just picture the scene here. Ruth is walking home, carrying somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. 
This is like one of those big dog bags, of, like dog food bags, right? You got it over your shoulder, you're carrying it. This is, this is Ruth walking home from the field into the city. And Naomi would never have dreamed that she could have brought this much food home in a day. And she rushes over to her and she says, where did you glean today? And before Ruth could answer, Naomi fires another question. And where have you worked? And before Ruth could get a word in, Naomi says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Naomi, uh, she realizes that Ruth could only have returned home abundantly provided for if a gracious man had noticed her and favored her and engaged her with loving kindness. And then Ruth tells her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she says, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, well, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, I want to pause here just for a moment, interrupt the story, uh, and, and make a comment here. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or dead. That word kindness there uh, is the word that Pastor Rick pointed our attention to last week in the pastoral prayer, has said. Has said. It, 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 we try, we're trying to uh, capture this idea of God's abundant love, His steadfast love, His, His loving kindness, His graciousness, His mercy that endures forever. And so we see this word uh, describing Boaz. His loving kindness has not forsaken the living, that is Ruth and Naomi, or the dead, that is Elimelech and Milan. Now remember, they didn't, Ruth did not have children with Milan. And so if, if, if uh, she didn't get remarried, uh, then his name would just go out of, into oblivion and never to be heard again in Israel. Uh, and so that's an, that's an important piece of information here that his kindness, his loving kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And as she, Naomi is saying all this, it dawns on her that Boaz, that Boaz is not just any old righteous guy. She declares this man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. The Lord's loving kindness is being granted here to Ruth and Naomi through the God-honoring Boaz. He is being used as an agent of God's grace. And Naomi realizes this, especially in light of Boaz being one of their redeemers. And, and uh, let me just talk about that briefly, uh, this idea of, uh, of a redeemer at this time. Now, I tried to explain this to my kids who are 10, 8, and 5, and I have a 2-year-old, but he's never listening. Uh, but we're, we're talking about this, this idea of what is called a Levriite marriage. And what would happen is if a man in Israel was married to a woman, and that man had passed away, had died, the, the, uh, the brother, the next brother in line, would take the widow and marry her, and their first child, their first son, uh, they would name after the deceased father, and it would perpetuate his name. And so that's what's going on here, and you can see probably, okay, I can understand how your ch children didn't exactly get that right away, but that's what's going on here. Naomi and Ruth's hope is revived. And I might say that, Ru that Naomi's faith in God's goodness to her is also revived, as we can see by her words. Verse 21, Ruth then goes on to say, Besides, Boaz said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, 
It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and, notice, the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And there's the end of the scene, right? And it's somewhat of a cliffhanger uh, because we know that there's, there's this righteous man, Boaz, and there's this righteous woman, Ruth, and there's been this interaction between them on this day, and the, the author of Ruth wants us to anticipate more to come, that Ruth is now living with her mother-in-law for about seven weeks through the harvest of, of, of the wheat and the barley, but there's more to come. And Lord willing, uh, you guys will be back here next week or tune in the live stream. Pastor Brian's going to talk about that next scene of Boaz and Ruth. So in, as, as we're thinking about all this, and in summary of, of what we've discussed here in Ruth 2, we see that God's loving kindness is providentially granted to Ruth through Boaz. We also noted that God's loving kindness is providentially granted to us, His church, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because we as God's people who have the Holy Spirit re residing within us, we, are also, we know that we are also agents of His grace, called to engage others with His loving kindness. We are called to engage people to put Jesus first for the sake of others. And I might just say here, as I thought about this um, and the application of it, because a lot of times we hear the word being preached, or even me myself as I'm preparing to preach, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We should apply that. But we don't apply it. But I wanna, what I want to say to us is this is really not optional. God has called us by His grace and His loving kindness to be set apart, holy and righteous ambassadors for of, him, of Himself in this world. And we are called to be those agents of grace, extending loving kindness to all those who He providentially brings into our path. And as you're thinking about that, and as we're in this Christmas season, let me just give you a couple of ideas that you can consider, but please don't limit it to these. These are just a couple of ideas in general as you're thinking about applying this text, as you're thinking about being an agent of God's loving kindness to Awatuki. Think about these few things here. Angel Tree. This is a ministry our church has done for years, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be agents of God's grace, agents of His loving kindness to those who are in desperate need of it, aren't they? The folks, the families who are benefiting from this ministry. So I would just encourage you to consider how your family might engage in angel tree ministry. There's also Lottie Moon, where uh, we as uh, one church out of like 45,000 churches partner together, put our money together, and send agents of God's grace out into the nations to grant loving kindness through the message of the gospel to those who have never heard about Jesus. So think about and consider what you might give towards our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Also, is, is, is the way we should love our neighbors. My Foothills group leader and his wife, Kyle and Sarah McLeish, they, they kind of encouraged and exhorted our group to go and do something uh, to show love and grace to our neighbors. And so my family and I are thinking about what can we do? Perhaps we can make some cookies, right? That's a typical thing. Got to, you know, uh, seal them up real nice and make sure they're COVID-proof and all of that. 
But we're considering that. But don't let it stop there, right? We are called to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus to our neighbors. Also, there's the family, family ministry. We just talked about faith path and launching that. Uh, and David is really working hard to equip parents to do that. And so let me just consider, if you're thinking, where do I, where can I begin? Like, I don't think I'm really good at this uh, extending grace and granting grace and being an agent of grace and showing God's loving kindness to people. I don't really know how to do that quite very good yet. Where do I start? Start in your home. What can go wrong? Lots of things can go wrong. But I would just encourage you to start there with your own family, engaging them to put Jesus first. So as we're considering all this and those three uh, ideas, I would just ask you to consider, how is the Lord stirring you to be an agent of His grace, granting other people loving kindness? And, and I didn't say this in the first service, and I wish I would have, but as you're thinking about just the people in our church family, who do you know that you could go to and encourage them in, at just the right moment? They're going through a difficult time and you can be an agent of God's grace, and you can show His loving kindness to that, church, to that uh, particular family, that particular person. So consider what the Lord has for you as we conclude here. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for Your grace. We are grateful for Your loving kindness that endures forever. We are grateful that You have called us to be Your children even before the foundation of the world in Christ. And we know that him being the ultimate agent of your grace, that we have salvation and redemption, and he is our refuge, and we are in him. And you delight, as the psalmist says, you delight in us as your inheritance, and we are grateful for that. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. Help us to consider as a church family how we might be agents of your loving kindness to Albuquerque and to our, the greater Phoenix area and really to the nations as we seek to engage people to put Jesus first for the sake of others. We pray it in his name. Amen.